Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. In today's show, we're going to look at how to get a great assistant, something that every Cashflow Ninja needs. My guest in this episode is Tim Francis. Tim is the founder of Great Assistant, which helps entrepreneurs get an effective and affordable assistant that who can take over all of the minutiae you hate doing so that you can get back to the work that you love. Tim and his team have now placed over 200 assistants. Uh, Tim's own assistant, Sarah, has been with Tim for five years, handles 98% of his email inbox, and has allowed Tim to focus on bigger opportunities, such as appearing on Inc.com, Forbes.com, and appearing as a guest lecturer at NYU in New York City. I would highly recommend you guys check him out. I am a current client of Great Assistant, and they uh, really do a phenomenal job. The process has been amazing so far. And by the way, if you have not checked out my new podcast, Cashflow Investing Secrets, you totally should. I would highly recommend it. It's a shorter show, 10 minutes or less, where I share one concept and or idea at a time that I've learned from interviewing over 500 Cashflow Ninjas. You can listen to the show uh, on your favorite podcast, video, and live streaming platforms. We also have an investment group and community for accredited investors. If you're interested to join that group, please visit Cashflow Ninja investorsnetwork.com and you can connect with other Cashflow Ninjas and with our community through our Facebook page. All you have to do is go to Facebook and type in Cashflow Ninja Community and join the group. Savvy investors know that in order for the miracle of compounding interest to work, it's magic, you have to be constantly invested in all stages of the economic cycle. So the question then becomes, how do you find solid investments when the stock market is close to all-time highs and everything else just seems so inflated? That's where our friends at ASIM Capital come in. Since 2011, ASIM has helped more than 300 accredited investors allocate more than $25 million to mobile home parks, self-storage, and workforce housing due to their ability to perform well during economic recessions. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to asymcapital.com. That's A-S-Y-M capital.com to get instant access to their investment offerings. MC Lobsher, the creator of the Cashflow Ninja and Cashflow Coach at Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate infinite banking with their business and investments. To learn how you can create your own banking system to turbocharge your investments and business in 30 days or less, go to yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Tom, welcome to the show. Good day. How are you? Doing fantastic, but looking forward to this conversation. We're going to talk about something very, very, very important here for all of our listeners. So um, it couldn't have come at a better time for a lot of folks that I know and a lot of listeners I know. So I'm super excited to jump into that topic. But before we do, to just you know, see how I just tease them. But before we do, uh, can you please give us a little bit about your background uh, and your journey? 
Yeah, I'm happy to do that. And can I do something a little different? Can I start with three quick tips so that even if people can only listen to the first two minutes of this, they, they, they get to walk with value and then I'll go into the story. Could I do that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So my first quick tip is do not use email when delegating to your assistant or to yep. any other internal team member. It's a wasteland of productivity or non-productivity, I should say, for you, the entrepreneur, and for the assistant. It's way too distracting in there. Use something else like Slack or Convo or even, goodness gracious, WhatsApp is even better than using email. So that's my first strategy. My second strategy, uh, folks oftentimes are wanting to know, um, you know, should I hire uh, on, uh, should, people oftentimes want to know, like, when I'm hiring and I'm delegating, should I be writing a bunch of procedures for everything? Like, do I need to systemize the whole business? And the, the fact of the matter is only you only, only get procedures written for the things that happen all the time in your business. You'll save yourself a ton of time. And what's even better is have your assistant be the one to write the procedures for you. And we've got some great tips around that. Um, a quick hack there is to also use a tool called Loom to record your screen. And then that way you can speak and narrate. It's way faster than writing everything out. So it's my second tip. And my third tip is people always want to know what should I pay an assistant? And so I've hired assistants all over the world. I've hired probably close to 300 assistants all over the world and 250 in the United States and Canada alone. And uh, I'll tell you that for the person who's going to be your right-hand person, they're like your executive assistant. I would absolutely stay with someone in a similar same time zone, similar same culture, similar same first language so that they just get you. There's no friction or misunderstandings because of gaps in culture, language, or time zone. And you can get that kind of person in the United States or Canada for 17 to 20 US dollars an hour. And we're talking about the kind of assistant that's going to take over your email inbox, take over your calendar, take over, like really become the second half of your brain. And a lot of entrepreneurs think that that's like a $40 an hour person. You can get them for $17 to $20 an hour. And we know that because we've done it over 250 times. So there you go. Those are my three quick strategies for anyone who could only listen to the first couple of minutes of this presentation. Fantastic. And if you, if you wanted, wanted to guess what we're going to talk about today is hiring a great assistant, freeing up your time as the business owner, the entrepreneur, and the investor to focus on what you're good at, staying within your unique ability to grow and accelerate your business and scale your business. So that's what we're going to jump into. So um, let's jump into a little bit of your, your journey and your background for my listeners to get to know you a little bit better. You betcha. 2001, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, just like everyone else. And that got me started. Um, I bought my first real estate property in 2000 and I think it was eight, um, which was just probably the worst time in all of the history of finance and real estate to get in. Ended up getting four properties, the market crashed, and I lost around $100,000, most of other people's money. So it was very stressful, very exhausting. Around the time, I was actually also a touring drummer, believe it or not. And uh, my band broke up 20 minutes before going on stage at the Western Canadian Music Awards. So that was heartbreaking. And I was scrambling to make money. And there was a a gentleman touring around Western Canada, which is where I'm originally from. And he was teaching people how they could retire in one year. That was his his pitch for his seminar. And for me, being 26, 27, 28, however old it was that I was, I thought that's the right timeline for me. One year. It shouldn't take any longer than that. Right, MC? So. So I, I bit hook, line, and sinker. Um, he had, uh, along the way, I asked if he'd, if he'd mentor me. He said, yes, I'm going to need you to take my high-level training program. It's $20,000. I was already down $100,000. So I, I said to him, well, I'm already down hundred grand. I don't know where I'm going to get twenty from. He said, well, if you're an entrepreneur, you'll figure it out. So off I went back into my business community, and I raised $5,000 from four different people. 5000 times four is $20,000, and that was the $20,000 that I needed to get into the high-level program. So on day three of the program, of the entire program, it was only day three. I was sitting in a, in a training with him 
And it just really hit me that this was not going to work for me. And it did not, it was not what I hoped for. So I was now down 120 grand and I was in a real tough spot. So um, I was right at the edge of kind of exhaustion and burnout at that point between stress and workload. And, uh, and the news came out that this particular uh, so-called mentor was uh, his business partner um, was convicted of being part of a $12 million Ponzi scheme, um, convicted in Canada, uh, barred from holding a security for 25 years, quarter million dollars uh, of fine. And I think the, the recovery rate on the $12 million is only like 7%. So 93% of $12 million is gone. There's some people I knew who lost tens of thousands of dollars of their savings. It's a very, very, and that was really the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Um, in 2011, all of it led to me developing an illness. And so for three months, I wasn't able to walk. Um, I was in bed day after day, week after week, thinking like, what did I do to create this? Rather than saying, why is this happening to me? I was doing my best to be in the space of why is this happening for me? Yeah. And thankfully, I'd taken some personal development courses that really helped me to develop that mindset. Um, and I'll tell you that had it not been for my incredible family, I would have gone double bankrupt. Um, I had moved back in with my parents, full-time care. Uh, the swelling went from my ankles to my knees to my hips and into my elbows. I couldn't even use a laptop for most of that time. And, um, and uh, had my mom not paid my mortgage for me uh, for those three months, um, I, I would have lost my house. So, you know, it was a, you know, I went from having over a million dollars of property and being on stage at the Washington Kennedy Music Awards and big dreams of being rich and famous to now I couldn't even walk. It was yeah. a massive fall from grace. And, uh, and it, was, it was a really powerful experience too, because there was one day, I think it was sometime in February of 2011. So that's uh, eight and a half years, almost nine years ago now. Um, and I, I felt the warmth come into my body. And then after that, I heard a voice. And the voice said, Tim, is this what you want? And MC, in that moment, I don't know if a second went by or a minute or an hour went by. Time stood still. And I then heard another voice, a very meek and weak voice that said, yes, this is what I want. And it took me a moment to realize it was, it was myself saying that. And the second that I said that, all of a sudden, it, it was almost like a series of dominoes falling in my head, my heart, and my spirit that uh, I realized that I've been chasing fame and fortune when what I needed to be chasing was mastery. And in that moment, I made a new promise to myself that even if I was never rich and famous, I would commit the rest of my life to getting a little bit better at entrepreneurship with every single week that went by. And shortly thereafter, I saw a quote that said that hell is meeting the man I could have been. And I thought to myself, again, whether I'm ever rich or famous, when I reach, when I reach the end of my life and I'm looking back, if, if I were to meet the man I could have been, I want that to be someone that I'm very familiar with because it's me. So really fulfilling my potential um, and making best use of all the gifts that I've been given became a huge driving force for me. And um, I knew that if I was ever going to fulfill that potential, that I couldn't do it on my own. Life is a team sport. Business is a team sport. Yep. And um, the problem was that I'd already tried many times getting assistance from overseas, uh, Philippines, India, Pakistan, Jamaica, uh, all over, all over, all over. And I always, I always met great people along the way. There was absolutely nothing wrong with anyone of any 
race, creed, color, nationality, nothing. Truly fantastic, beautiful human beings. And I also just saw very quickly how some of the challenges of working overseas just became too much frustration to kind of deal with. Like things like not having them just suddenly not having electricity, right? Or there being like a political uprising or there being extreme weather that would knock them out for three months. Like it was just not workable. So the problem was that I was broke. I was stone broke, like, you know, 120 grand in debt, feeling like I had very little ways to make money. And yet I had, I had to get help. So even though I didn't know how how I would afford it, I didn't know what I would delegate first. And I didn't know how to do what a lot of entrepreneurs don't know how to do, which is trust and release control. That's also a huge challenge for entrepreneurs. I still went for it anyways. And so I went to a website called hiremymom.com. I posted an ad and uh, a woman named Sarah replied. She's a former paralegal who had recently wanted to work from home. And uh, little did I know that for the next six years, she would be my right-hand person. And, uh, you know, she began very modestly, just a few hours a week. Um, At the time, I had a marketing agency, a digital marketing agency doing Google AdWords and websites and whatnot. And so she would send invoices and upload podcast episodes and upload blog posts. It was a very simple beginning. But I'll tell you what, within a few years, she was taking over huge things in my business. I had no idea that the ceiling on an assistant was so high if you're working with someone who's coming like out of professional America or or corporate America. And uh, before I knew it, she was, she'd taken over like 97% of my, my email inbox. I had, uh, when I would fly to attend a workshop or to speak at a workshop or go to a mastermind or something, I would arrive at, you know, I'd, I'd arrive on a flight that she booked for me. I would stay at the Airbnb she booked for me and I'd open up the fridge at the Airbnb and the groceries that I wanted would already be sitting in the fridge so that I could have healthy smoothies every morning while I was on the road. So the, the real point where I knew that she and I had cracked the code was, um, the girl that I was dating at the time had won a trip to Jamaica because she was a top performing salesperson. So it was a company incentive. And uh, so my assistant, Sarah and I, we said, Hey, let's try a test. Let's see if I, if Tim can go off the grid for eight straight days, no phone, no email, nothing, no laptop and see if the business can still run. That was a little too much for me, MC. I was like, <laughs> I can't handle that. That, that terrifies yeah. me. So I, I asked if I'd have, if I, if I you know, could I have permission to check on day four, like halfway through? She said, yeah, 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 for sure. So, so the first four days, I didn't check my phone, no, no phone, no laptop, nothing. And on the fourth day, I remember being in Negril, Jamaica, in the resort, in the hotel room, and turning on my phone and bracing myself for a flurry of problems and things breaking, and, and nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. So I thought, okay, all right, I made it four days, but I don't think I'm going to make it eight days. But so I, the eighth day came, I was in the, the airport in the grill, Jamaica, and I turned on my phone again and nothing. And I thought, oh, well, I know when the other shoe's going to fall is when I get back home and I open my laptop and I open my email account. I'm just going to, I'm probably going to have like 500 welcome home emails. It's going to be so overwhelming. I'm going to regret taking the trip at all in the first place. But you know what, MC? I got back to Edmonton, Canada. I opened up my laptop. I opened up Gmail. I watched a little progress bar load. I was very afraid. I was kind of like shielding my face, worried of what I was going to see. But I could see through the cracks of my fingers, there was only 18 emails there for me. And within a couple hours, I got it all answered. And it was in that moment that I knew that we'd cracked the code. And so ever since then, I've had tons of entrepreneurs say, Tim, how did you do that? How did you get a great assistant that took over your email inbox and is really the second half of, of you? And, and so I built a company around it called Great Assistant, and we've now helped over 250, uh, placed 250 assistants with entrepreneurs around the United States and Canada. And it's just been extraordinary to see the explosion in productivity, profitability, 
for all of our clients. And honestly, just seeing like how much of a difference it makes in the lives of our entrepreneurs when the entrepreneur now gets to be in their zone of genius, to use a term that you used a few minutes ago. Yep. And also see the way that we're changing the lives of even the assistants because now they get to work from home. They get to work um, in a way that's meaningful while also being able to take care of their kids or their parents or themselves, or, you know, whatever it is that has them wanting to, to be working from home. Yeah. No, fantastic. And I will just say this to the listeners too, that I'm super impressed with Tim's assistant too, just getting this interview up and running. So as you guys know, I love speaking to people that eat their own cooking, right? As I say, <laughs> so that was already a fantastic experience. So there's a, there, there's a testimonial to, to the, the, the great work that they're doing. Um, one of the things that folks might listen to is they know you know, as investors and entrepreneurs and business owners, they get to a point and they know that, okay, now they have to do it. The easy part is, you know, getting one is not that hard if you, you know, post something on Upwork or, you know, Craigslist and so forth. That, 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 that's not the, the, the really, really hard part. But then now it's like, is it the right person that fits in there? And then getting one, growing one, and then gelling with one as you guys were doing, you know, can you share and speak a little bit more to that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so this is, I think, one of the most powerful, I always love using real world stories, because I think that it's just like, why speak in theory when we've got real world stories? So yeah. a guy named Jimmy, um, a good friend of mine up in Canada, um, longtime friend, um, in certain ways, I even think of him as as one of my rich dads. It, like he's just such a wise guy when it when it comes not, not a wise guy like in the New Jersey kind of way, but but yeah. a wise gentleman. <laughs> yes, there you go. And uh, and so grounded and so skilled and so able and um, and he wanted to get an assistant from us. And so I explained to him that the process. Like what, here's a great tip for everyone is most entrepreneurs will look at two or three candidates to come up with a winning assistant. And the success rate of that is typically less than 50%. And um, our success rate hovers between 80 and 95%, which is basically double. Like it's like 100% more successful. And a, uh, there's a bunch of reasons why that is. One of them is that we're looking not at two or three candidates. We're looking at 50 to 100 candidates to come down with one winning assistant. And that allows us to really get a great cross-section to compare everything from skill set to mindset, uh, their cognitive, cognitive, affective abilities. We test them using psychometric assessments. There's, it's just a huge, huge, huge hiring funnel. And so I explained it to Jimmy. I said, if you want to do it on your own, this is what you'd have to do. And he said, okay, that sounds great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do that. So he got an assistant right away. He did what a lot of entrepreneurs do is he just posted on Facebook, said, hey, who knows someone looking for work? And so that's kind of cardinal sin number one. Um, and cardinal sin number two is he hired the first person that came his way. And cardinal sin number three is he didn't really put them through any psychometric assessments, no work tests, anything like that. It was more just kind of like, well, you seem cool. We vibe on Zoom and uh, checked her resume and was like, hey, it's, it's showtime. Let's go. Well, within six weeks, that assistant was gone. And Jimmy was back. It's like Groundhog Day, that movie with Bill Murray where he wakes up and it's the same, same start to the day every single day. So that, that was Jimmy's day uh, experience working with an assistant. And, uh, and six months went by and he said, oh my God, I'm just so tired. I'm just exhausted from doing all this work myself. I need help. So he came back to us. And uh, not only did we help him get a great assistant, but in, in the following six months, he got a great assistant and he got enough off his plate that he was then able to free up his time, his energy, and even his headspace to be able to launch a product that had been on his mind for six 
years. Wow. So he got that finally launched. And in the first six months after the launch, he generated $250,000 in new revenue. So people oftentimes ask me, what does it cost to get an assistant? And I ask, well, what does it cost to not get an assistant? And in Jimmy's case, $250,000 over the course of, uh, of six months, and that'd been on his mind for six years, that's a $3 million opportunity cost. So what is it that you're not getting around to? Do you have customers coming into your inbox that you can't get back to fast enough? Are you delivering for your clients and customers too slowly and they're getting upset? Is there a new product if you're selling a physical product and upsell on what you're already doing that you know would be a slam dunk? That's the real cost. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about opportunity cost. All they're looking at is what's the hourly rate of an assistant? This is, in a sense, yes, this is about an assistant, but this is about you. How do we duplicate you? How do we get you into your zone of genius? And I oftentimes talk about a surgeon in a surgeon and a surgeon doesn't clean the trash bins, doesn't book the nurses, doesn't take care of all the paperwork. They'll sign off on a few things, but they will not be the one to take care of all the paperwork. A surgeon does three things and three things only. And these are the only three things that I want everyone listening to be working towards. And one is strategy. One is high level skill and one is high level access. So if you're a real estate investor, a high-level skill would be negotiating, for example. If you're an entrepreneur, a high-level skill would be selling you know, or marketing or being the face of your company or being with your clients, right? Uh, strategy is both strategy for your business and then strategy if you've got clients or products, we need some strategy there, right? So that's, that's the second area. And the third area is high-level access. So for example, if someone wanted to attend one of my private dinner parties, so I've hosted 31, no, I'm sorry, it's 33 private dinner parties in Austin in the last year and a half to two years. So we're doing like two every single month. And we've had people that have taken built businesses to $6 billion in revenue. We've had people who are early investors in Spotify. We've had like an incredible list of people who've come to our private dinner parties. And like MC, you have access to me now, right? Through my right. executive assistant. And because you and I now have this, this interview and this friendship and this relationship, and so the next time you're coming to Austin, you'd be able to say, hey, Tim, I'm coming. Do you have a spot at the Skyline dinner party? I'd love to be there. And that's you using your high-level access. And I'd say, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, we've got dates this day, this day, this day. Come on down. And now guess what? It's a whole alumni community of people who've been to our Skyline dinner party. Not just everyone gets to do that, right? But because you're an influencer, because you're connected, you now get to use your high-level access. Other examples of high-level access include like um, in the example of the surgeon, the surgeon has access to other surgeons to be able to get a second opinion if there's a tricky situation they're dealing with. A surgeon has access to their own medical license to be able to sign off on certain documents that the nurse wouldn't have the authority to sign off on. A real estate investor would have access to their bankers and to their bank accounts and to certain attorneys. Um, an entrepreneur would have high-level access to possibly promotion partners, right? Or other vendors or the CEOs of other companies to be able to cut deals. So those are the three areas that I want an entrepreneur to focus on is high-level skill, high-level access and strategy for themselves. And then also if you're working with clients in their businesses as well. Um, when it comes to keeping an assistant, there's a huge amount of work you do up front to be able to get them to get the right person. And um, I'll just give you a couple quick tips around that. So for example, one thing you can do is, is a work test. So could you, like, could you imagine if you had a handful of applicants apply and then from there, you said, hey, great. Before we do an interview, um, we have a, a small test. And what's involved is I, I need you to go on Facebook. I need you to create an event. 
We're going to make it a birthday party. I need you to create an image that's suitable for a birthday party. Give it a good title. Then after that, I want you to go into Google Docs and I want you to write me a procedure based on how it is that you created the Facebook event. Then I want you to go and download the Loom app and I want you to record a video walking me through how you created this Facebook event. Then I want you to send me one single email that has three links in it. The first link is to your Facebook event. The second link is to your Google Doc procedure. And the third link is to your Loom video. And I'm going to review that. And if all that looks great, then um, I'll circle back and potentially you'll move to the next step. So look at what we get to learn in just that one work test. We get to like hear their spoken English because they're going to be narrating the Loom video. We're going to see how fast they're with technology on the Loom video. In their procedure, we're going to see their ability to read and write um, professionally. We're also going to see, does their brain work in a sequential manner? Like this, if this, then that, then this, then that. We're going to see, do they have good attention to detail? Did they include all the three links? Was it in one single email or did they accidentally break it up into three emails? You learn so much just by seeing people in action. And so that's like one of many steps that I would recommend someone use to figure out if they've got the right assistant. And, and once you have the right assistant, how do we delegate to them in such a way that is going to make the relationship profitable? Because if you just think of it as a, an assistant as an expense, then you'll probably never hire one or never get ahead, right? But right. if you think of your relationship with the assistant as being a profit center, now you're constantly asking, how can I give this assistant $10 and I can get 100 back? How can I give them 10 minutes of training and I can get 100 minutes back? And, and the way that that works out is by you being freed up to go do higher revenue level activities. Your assistant isn't going to go negotiate for you, isn't going to do marketing strategy or something like that for you. But what they can do is they can take over uh, setup coordination, maintenance, tech support, customer support, basic research, onboarding. They can take care of uh, sometimes common errands or arranging that, um, common skills. and They can take care of all of that. So now you're focused on just the three things so you can be the surgeon in the room. And being able to see that is a crucial step for an entrepreneur to learn how to delegate. And once an entrepreneur can see the kinds of tasks that they can be delegating in their business, then we highly recommend that they use a tool called 360 Delegation. That's something that I invented. It's three parts. It's vision, resources, definition of done. Um, you can communicate that anyway. Like if you're using Slack, you could just put it in Slack or in a WhatsApp message. Just cover those three things. So what's included in vision is like, what is it that I want done? Uh, why am I doing it? What are some milestones along the way? And here's a pro tip. In the vision section, be absolutely certain that you're including a sample of success. So if you want your assistant to send an invoice to a customer so you guys can get paid, make sure you give the assistant an example of a successful invoice. If you want your assistant to help edit your podcast episode, give them a finished podcast episode to hear about. If you want them to be booking uh, an Airbnb or a hotel for you, give them an example. Show them, some, show them some pictures. This is what a good Airbnb looks like and give them some links to some listings that meet your criteria. So that's vision. The second part of 360 delegation is resources. And in that, we're going to include anything that an assistant would need to be effective. So that could be usernames and passwords. That could be access to certain documents. That could be access to other people. Maybe they need to work with other people. Maybe they need some training. Whatever it is that they need, we, we've got a whole list. It's about 20, 25 items that we're going through each time we're delegating. And thirdly is definition of done. So we've got vision, we've got resources, and now we've got definition of done. And in definition of done, we're asking ourselves, what would I need to see to know that this is complete? Do we need to sign off from a client? Do we need to sign off from you? Do we need to store things once they're completed so we can retrieve them for next year's promotion? Or if you're a real estate investor, are we going to store our tenant contracts, our deals contracts on Dropbox somewhere specific so we can easily pull that up when it's time for renewal? 
mortgage renewal, tenant renewal, whatever the case may be. So those are just a few very quick tips on both getting a great assistant and then keeping an assistant and making them profitable because it really takes all three for the relationship to work. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is the show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Kings, queens, and royal families, along with the nobility and ultra-rich, have warehoused and stored their wealth for centuries in gold and silver, art, land, and real estate. These assets have stood the test of time through centuries and have been a great place to preserve and protect their wealth. Like gold, silver, land, and real estate, art has been around for centuries and will be around for many, many more centuries. That's why the ultra-rich will continue to invest in art and preserve their wealth in art. While the S&P declined 5.1% in 2018, the art market returned 10.6% and was called the best investment of 2018 by the Wall Street Journal. Masterworks is the first company to allow investors to buy shares of great blue chip art masterpieces by artists like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. You can get set up on their platform at cashflowninja.com forward slash art. My friend Dave Zook from The Real Asset Investor says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. The Real Asset Investor team creates value for investors looking for higher yield returns from ATM machines and self-storage investments. Their syndications offer attractive investment opportunities that produce strong cash flow, equity growth, huge tax incentives. They are truly passive and managed by a world-class team. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities the Real Estate Investor offers, such as their ATM and stealth storage syndications, please visit cashflowninja.com forward slash Real Asset Investor. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is the show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. Now let's return to our interview. I want to just touch on something that you said earlier too, when you started um, the, the question or the answer rather off by saying, this is about you. And I want to say, this is one of the biggest aha moments for me is that most people think that bringing in an assistant is an investment in your business. It's actually an investment in you, <laughs> yourself. And once you switch that, it really becomes a no-brainer because a lot of people th- can see, okay, well, it's a v- no, no, it's not an investment in your business. It's an investment in you that frees up you because that example that you use from uh, one of your rich dads, Jimmy, I believe, I mean, just look at that, the opportunity cost that's involved with this and the ability for you as a producer and a creator, the stuff that you can create and produce for others and the value that you can create is, is, is now all of a sudden exponentially, uh, there's an exponential possibility of to do more of that because of the time that you have available. And, and it's very much a stage of business question. So, you know, um, if you study a little deeply into someone like Einstein, you find out that he had a lot of mathematicians around him and physicists around him that were actually better than he was at their specific specialty. And we hear about how Henry Ford, you said he could answer any question. He had six buttons on his desk and one was for his head of engineer and another was head of accounting and whatever the buttons were for. 
And we oftentimes hear like, you know, I want to be the dumbest person in the room because I'm surrounded by such smart people. That, that's all great. And that's usually like a step two or a step three. Mm-hmm. We're never going to get to that stage if we don't have significant revenue coming in to be able to fund the growth of the business. And that only happens if you get treated as the Michael Jordan or the, you know, pick the celebrity or the, you know, uh, movie star or, or sports star of your choosing. We need you to be optimized first. We have to move through that phase of the business before we can start talking about hiring people who are better than you at, at specialties. Um, I've talked to so many entrepreneurs and some very bright people like Ryan Levesque or like, um, um, uh, uh, Chris Prefontaine or, and, and they all say the very first person you need to be hiring is not a salesperson, you know, is not a production person, but is an assistant because in the very beginning, you are the lead singer of the band. You yep. are the superstar and we absolutely need to optimize you. And, and there's, and that's not an ego statement. That's not saying you're more important as a human being. All human beings are equal for sure. And if we think about the surgeon, if we've got a room of 20 people, which might be one surgeon and a handful of nurses and a, a handful of nurse practitioners or, or licensed practical nurses, who can do heart surgery in that room? One person. Okay, so how many lives are we affecting if that surgeon is doing everything in the room? Well, that surgeon's only going to be able to do one procedure a day, right? Or maybe one every other day. How many lives are we saving? Versus what if we had four surgery rooms going? each with its own staff of nurses. And, and when, when one staff, when one room's being cleaned up, another one's being used, and a third one is being prepared, right? Yep. And if that surgeon can just circulate between the four rooms, morning in one room, afternoon in another room, morning the next day in the next room, afternoon in the next room, whatever that cycle is, we're now literally saving twice as many lives, maybe three times, maybe four times as many lives by optimizing each person's role in the room. So don't worry about other people needing to be smarter than you. We need other people to be optimizing you. And then once your business is a little bigger, you're a little further down the path, you're probably into the multiple six figures at that point, you're going to start looking at that point to thinking about getting specialists who are better than you at things like sales um, or production. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that folks look at too is, overseas and outsourcing overseas. Some mm. comments on that and where are the assistants? Where do they reside? I think one of the, the quick uh, 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 pro tips that you shared was having someone in your geographical area or your time zone. Uh, any comments on that? Yeah. So uh, I was... Uh, <laughs> I do some of my best thinking in the shower. I, I, I know <laughs> some people it's walking their dog or mowing the lawn or whatever, but for me, it's in the shower. And it was a couple of years ago, it just hit me that the difference between skill and wisdom is skill is knowing how to swing the tools and wisdom is knowing which tool to pick up in the first place. Right. So just like anything else, if we're trying to use a Ferrari to go through the jungle, it's never going to work. But if I get a Toyota Land Cruiser, I'm going to go through the jungle, no problem. But if I take the Toyota Land Cruiser and I try to go to the Circuit of the Americas F1 track here in Austin, it's going to tip over. <laughs> it's just going to be too slow. So right tool for the job. So, uh, so there's actually, um, I normally when I speak live, I, I would actually put this on the, on the screen for people to see, but there's basically like um, kind of like a, an X and Y axis on this. And the Y axis is 
the difficulty of what it is that you're, you're delegating. So if you can imagine up and down, we've got simple tasks, we've got, um, I'm sorry, we've got tasks, we've got simple decisions, we've got hard decisions and outcomes. Outcomes is the hardest thing to delegate. And then the easiest is just a simple task. So if I'm delegating um, how to send an invoice, I can give an assistant probably 10, 15 minutes of training. They could probably write it into a six step procedure. That's a simple task. There's no decisions to be made. Just go do it, right? Other tasks at that level would be things like data entry, or if we're just like grabbing huge amounts of data over and over again and just putting them into spreadsheets, anything that's really repetitive, doesn't require a lot of decision-making, that would be a simple task. And that actually is something that I would consider, I would consider sending overseas for $4 to $10 an hour. If it's the same thing over and over and over again, doesn't require a lot of decision-making, doesn't require a lot of training, doesn't, I would absolutely think about going overseas with that for the cost savings. As soon as we go up a level into simple, simple decisions, we're now talking about things that have a little bit of if this, then that. So for example, booking a hotel room or booking an Airbnb, I can't really say, go onto airbnb.com, click the left button that says date, enter the date, enter the city, because pretty soon the person doing the task, booking the Airbnb for me, is just going to hit a point where they go, well, is it more important that we're really close to the location or is the price more important or is the number of bedrooms more important or the square footage or the fact that it's a house or an apartment? Like it's just becomes, it's impossible. It breaks down. So, so at that point we have to use a tool. I call it decision-making guidelines. So decision-making guidelines for getting something like an Airbnb would be, I want it to be less than $160 a night. I want it to be within a 15 minute walk of the venue that I'm speaking or learning at. I'd like it to look like this, include five or six pictures. That's the sample of success part again I talked about earlier. Um, I want it to have a blender so that I can have my morning smoothie. I want to um, also make sure there's an ironing board and iron so that I can iron my clothes for my presentation. And, and then from there, I'd like it, I'm okay, if it's, uh, I'm okay if it's shared accommodations if it's just me. If I'm traveling with a significant other or a salesperson, then not shared accommodations, then I want to have the whole place so you can have separate bedrooms and all the rest. So I've now given nothing about that is click this, click that. Like I'm giving them decision-making guidelines. And at that point, there's a lot more discretion that's needed. And at that point, I would, I would definitely want to go with someone from similar same time zone, similar same culture, some, uh, same first language. So if someone's listening to this and they're in Australia, get someone from Australia or New Zealand. If you're in United States or Canada and you hear this, get someone from the United States or Canada, right? Um, and so then if we go up from there from simple decision, we move up to a hard decision. And a hard decision is like a simple decision that we're using decision-making guidelines, except that there's a lot more of them. So believe it or not, booking a flight is actually one of the most complicated things to, to delegate because it's like, do you want aisle, middle, or row seats? Do you care if it's front of the plane, back of the plane? Are there certain airlines you don't want to be with you know, because yeah. of their downtime or because you don't like United because they drug that guy down the aisle by the back of his scruff. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. do you, do you want to pay with a credit card or with points, right? Do you want to arrive at a certain time? Like there's so many, if this, then that with booking a flight, that that's actually a hard decision. So then the most complicated of all is an outcome. And an outcome is when you say to an assistant and, and this, and I was able to do this with my assistant that was with me for six years. So I was able to say, I'd like to have an annual event called the 8020 summit. I'd like to do it with Perry Marshall. I'd like to do it in San Diego. I'd like it to be a classic old style hotel. Um, let, you know, let me see what you got. And so she went, she found three or four options. She brought it back to me and I said, okay, great. Next round of decision-making guidelines is 
how much you're willing to spend on everything. So we actually created a budget and it was a $31,000 budget, everything from pins to lanyards to notebooks to stand-up banners to audiovisual to live stream, like banquet, flights, accommodations, everything. And, you know, we spent some time on that. And, and this is actually a spot where the 80-20 rule kicks in. Um, we all know the 80-20 rule. There's a variation on it, though, uh, that I learned from Mike Rhodes. He calls it hourglass. The first 10% of anything is difficult. The middle 80, so that's leading the work. The middle 80% is doing the work. And the last 10% is reviewing the work. Yep. And that's a version of 80-20. And so by using 360 delegation, which we talked about a few minutes ago, I was able to work with my executive assistant to come up with a clear budget, a clear timeline, a clear vision, everything. And then no kidding, MC, she went out and she came within 1.6% of the $31,000 budget. And all I ended up doing was creating the content, going on stage and shaking hands, like, you know, networking, whatnot. She took care of absolutely everything else. And, and you'll just, you'll never get to that point with an assistant if they don't understand um, language, culture, time zone, like, and I'm not saying that to be the same time zone. I'm saying like, if you're in the United States, any, anywhere in the United States is fine. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and also long-term, that's the other factor. If someone, someone could be, you know, the former executive assistant at Coca-Cola to a senior vice president, but if they don't expect to be with you for a bunch of years, or you don't, you're not expecting to keep them for a few years, then why would you bother training them so deeply? Right. Yep. So that's the other thing. So uh, I'll maybe pose this question and then, and then maybe we can move on is like, what would have to be true? What would have to be true if you, if you had the, the chance to hire an assistant, anyone you want, but once you hire them, you're stuck with them for three years. Think about that. All of a sudden, instead of looking at two or three applicants, you're probably going to look at dozens and dozens. Instead of saying onboarding is a pain in the butt, I don't want to do it. You'd probably be like, no, I really want to onboard them real well because I'm stuck with them for three years. Instead of yeah. saying training is a pain in the butt or having to show up on a meeting every week for them, you'd probably flip it and you'd be so excited because this person is your gateway to freedom. You're with them for the next three years, whether you like it or not. And so any way that your decision and your behavior and your, and your execution changes by that question is actually some of the best habits to have when it comes to hiring an assistant in the first place. So, you know, to just wrap up the question, I think there's a time and a place for, for lower priced overseas third world assistance. Um, I think it's a very specific and narrow um, use case. And if you're, and it's not the kind of assistant that's going to be your right-hand person who's going to become the second half of your brain that's going to take over a lot of the bottom level of your work. For that, you got to stay similar, same times on similar, same culture, same first language, and, uh, and, and have a long-term mindset. We're, we are actually explicitly asking the assistants that we're interviewing, if it goes well, could they see themselves being an executive assistant three years from now? And if they don't say yes to that, we typically disqualify them. I like that. I like because just the, you know, that whole mindset with the long term, uh, longer term, and I mean three years even. I think that you just put that perfectly. My the wheels are spinning in my head just with that question, and it should definitely for our listeners listening too because it's a that's a game changer itself. It's like the twenty five year framework that all of a sudden you know now prov provides time abundance instead of time scarcity when you're when you're drilling down. Uh, some targets that you have. Um, 
Now, one of the things that we're very passionate about and one of the core messages, messages in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down mm. a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, then we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? I love that. I really, really love that. I feel like that's such a beautiful North Star to live by. And I, I really thank you and congratulate you for, for um, being a champion of that kind of a message. Um, yeah. I, I, so for me, of the three, one that I would definitely, definitely say is in my top three is, uh, is the pursuit of mastery. I mean, that was such an aha moment when I was sick. I couldn't walk. I was almost double bankrupt. Like That was a huge, huge, huge turning point for me. And the craziest thing of all MC is I stopped chasing fame and fortune. And guess what? I started making a lot more money. <laughs> and some of the some of the like public recognition things started to really happen. Like I was speaking in Dallas and someone in the audience was from Forbes and approached me and asked me if I'd be a regular contributor for Forbes. So it's just incredible when you focus on getting really good at what you do and you've got a good mentor, you've got a good you've got a good process or a good method that you're following, a good community to go to for help, you know, to cry on their shoulder, to celebrate wins, all of that. Like if you put, if you gather all the ingredients to bake a, a beautiful carrot cake, and if you follow the steps to bake a carrot cake and you've got the tools for a carrot cake and you've got the strategy for a carrot cake, even if you've never done it before, you're going to produce a carrot cake. Yep. So focus on mastering each step of creating a carrot cake and you will create it. I've got just no question about that. The, the, the one factor that can throw a, a wrench in all that is, is the environment, environmental factors. Like if you're trying to be a real estate investor in 2008, like I was, or a Bitcoin investor in 2017, or any, you know, or a, a tech investor in 1999, like there's just no question. We are all affected. Like we are like ants walking on the elephant's back and the elephant is, if we could walk a hundred miles to the East, but if the elephant's moving West, we're going West. Yeah. So, but even that is, is, is also mastery. How do we handle big curveballs? And that's a huge part of the training of being an entrepreneur or an investor. Like there's that famous saying that a skilled sailor is not made in safe harbors. Right. So along those lines, it all comes back to mastery whether the environment is in your favor or not. So that would be my first one. That's very, very powerful. And that's one of the notes that I've dotted down early from your story, the mastery part of it. So what are some of the, um, yeah, what is the next one? So the, the, the next one I think is, um, I, I think it's really, really powerful to think about the people that you're surrounded by. Um, like I said, I would have gone bankrupt, double bankrupt, had it not been for my family. Um, and I know not everyone has the, the, the luxury or the opportunity to have a great family. Um, when, I was, when I first got my degree, I, I got rejected from business school three times. So I never did get a business degree, let alone like no MBA or anything like that. Um, I ended up getting a kinesiology degree. So all about fitness and wellness and well-being. And um, and my first job after I got my degree MC, I worked in the women's federal penitentiary. And so I worked with women inmates. Um, and the very first 
shift that I had uh, after I'd completed training. So my first time working kind of, I mean, you're never alone in a prison, but the first time I didn't have my supervisor there um, was maximum security night. And so four guards came up from solitary confinement with two inmates. The inmates had um, shackles around their ankles and handcuffs around their wrists. And the guards unlocked these two inmates and looked at me and said, all right, well, recreation officer Francis, uh, it's time to recreate. <laughs> Good luck <laughs> with so that. I, yeah. And, and so I looked at the inmates and they looked at me and they'd never seen me before. Or who's this, who's this like 24 year old dude in the middle of a women's prison. Right. And, and, uh, and, you know, something I really got out of that, that, and I didn't work there for long, but like a lot of the inmates were born, you know, addicted to substances, had holes in their lungs because their mothers had smoked during pregnancy. They had fetal alcohol syndrome. So cognitively, they just didn't have this quite the same horsepower. And when they were released back, maybe on parole or after their sentence was complete, the rate of recidivism was incredibly high if they were going right back into the same environment that they came from where the, the crime uh, that from the time that they created the crime, if they're going back to that same environment, like we as human beings are so sensitive. We are so sensitive to the world around us. And that includes, uh, I always say this, first we choose our friends and our friends make us. First we choose our uh, uh, media and our media makes us. First we choose our habits and our habits make us, right? And so to just like willpower, I don't think we have as much willpower as we like to think that we do. So to shape our environment around us, including the people, is probably more powerful than just having iron will. And, and that means like, get rid of your TV if you don't want to watch TV. You know, if you don't want to be uh, eating a bunch of junk food, you could have a bunch of willpower or you could just get rid of the junk food out of your cabinets, right? If you want to be a successful real estate investor or entrepreneur, make sure you've got great information flowing in your brain from this guy named MC. Like that might be a good idea. Instead of listening to rap music or rock music, let's put on a podcast before we go to bed and let's, let's hear what MC's got to say, right? So I just think that, that part, including people, the environment is so, so, so crucial and to be very sensitive to that and to actually be an architect and design a designer of it so that it's conducive to you getting where it is that you want to go. Yeah. So, so it's, I mean, it's so true. And that's one of the things that intentionally I try to do to, to create, you know, even like something like working out where, you know, if you, you know, cause there's a lot of folks, well, I just, I, Maybe I can't get there or I'm going to look, well, then you create something that's right there that fits in with your life and your family and your lifestyle and your business. Right. It could be one way of creating that environment that then now it's right there. You go down, you're on the treadmill and you, you're putting uh, the cash flow ninja in your ears and you're going for a run, right? Perfect. Yeah. So what would be the third one? The third, the third one is uh, I just... So first, and I know this might be controversial to say, but it's just, it's what I believe. Um, I, I think that follow your passion is actually bad advice. Um, if I really want to be a wealthy, um, I don't know, basket weaver, and there's just no market for it, like I could follow my passion all I want, but if I'm not in tune with what the world wants from me, yep. I'm going to be real frustrated. And and so I think if we can find that intersection between what it is that interests, so actually this is something else. How crazy would it be MC if you and I said, if you we were standing next to an empty fire pit and if you said, all right, Tim, well, we need some heat. And if I said to you, 
well, MC, I'm not going to do any work on this until this fire is giving me heat. And you would say, but it's an empty pit. How can you possibly expect to get any heat? And I say, well, it's not my job description. I don't get paid for that. So the reality in life is we oftentimes have to do a whole bunch of work before we ever get any kind of reward. And if, you know, you, you need to work to the paycheck that you want to get, or you need to work to the revenue level that you want for your business or the passive income level that you want or what you've got to work to that before it ever shows up. You got to put the kindling in, you got to put the, the little TP of sticks and then the bigger logs around it and all the rest uh, and spark a match before you get anything out of it. And, and if you're, if your sole metric and direction is passion, well, did you know that in work satisfaction studies, the number one factor, the number one above pay, above anything else, the number one factor that consistently came back as being the biggest predictor of job satisfaction, and that's whether you own your business, you work in someone else's, is actually competency. Believe it or not, it's actually competency. The better you, the, the more that you feel like you know what you're doing, the more you like your job, the more you like your job, the more you want to do it, the more you do it, guess what? The more competent you become. The more competent you become, the more you like it, the more you like it, the more you do it, the more you do it. And guess what? The more competent you become, it becomes a positive upward spiral. And so I think that if we're sitting around waiting for passion to strike, we're going to be waiting a very, very, very long time. I think it's more about picking something, going for it, win, lose, or draw, pursue mastery, win, lose, or draw, gain the lessons that there are to be gained. And, and also understand that what works great for MC or for Tim Francis or someone else is not necessarily what's going to work for the next person. Um, I always draw, I've been, I've sat through 138 board meetings now and, and at the intersection of three factors, I, and I just noticed this, this was another one of my shower insights was uh, like, it kind of bugs me when I see a speaker say, the one thing you got to do is start an Instagram account or the one thing you got to do is do fix and flips or the one thing you got to do is invest in Bitcoin they don't know my situation, right? right? They have no idea. So instead of falling prey to that lottery mindset of if I just do this one thing, if I just get a record deal, I'm set. If I just find the mate of my dreams, I'll be happy. If I just make a certain amount of money, all my problems are gone. Doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. So instead, I would say, take a look at the intersection of your unique set of resources. So what is it that you have internally? Skills, time, money, energy, access to people, on and on. Tools, right? On and on. What's the intersection of your, your unique set of resources with your unique, your, your unique set of circumstances? So externally, where do you live? Who's around you? What's happening in the marketplace? What kind of competitors do you have, right? All, what's happening with interest rates? What's happening with mortgage rules, right? That's all circumstances external to us. And then from there, the third factor is your unique timing. Uh, one of my mentors, Keith Cunningham, uh, has so many really great little uh, sayings. And one of them is, um, there ain't, there ain't nothing worse than running in the wrong direction enthusiastically, <laughs> which is just, quotes. just awesome. Right. Yeah. And something else he oftentimes says is there's such thing as the right idea at the wrong time. And so we can get all hyped up about, I don't want to trade time for money or some, some kind of statement like that. Like, Oh, well, it's not a scalable business. So I shouldn't do it. Well, look, if you're in your first hundred thousand dollars of revenue and you can barely pay the rent or barely pay the mortgage, Trading time for money can be the best idea of all time. Like you can trade time for money if you're an expert at web design or at um, fashion or 
at uh, operations or project management, you can trade your time for like 50 bucks an hour, which blows away what most people with college degrees get in kind of beginning to middle level jobs, right? So I just really like, you know, there's such thing as a at the wrong time. Once you've got a million dollar business, now let's start talking about scalability. Let's start talking about, you know, fully replacing yourself. Let's like, but not before then, right? So look at your unique set of circumstances, resources, and timing. Make that, like, you got to stop and think a little bit about that and let that guide your decision making and, and let it be guided towards not just what am I passionate about? Because if we just focus on what's going to make us the happiest or the most passionate, I think, I think that's a, it's very risky that you'll end up frustrated, heartbroken, and, and broke, candidly. Um, the world is not here to give you, like I love this expression from sales training, uh, nobody's going to buy when, when you want to sell. They're going to buy when they're ready to buy. And you just need to make sure that you're the top of their mind as the best candidate to be buying from whenever it is that they finally get to their situation when they're ready to buy from you. So, yeah. So I think follow your passion is bad advice. Um, I think if we put two or three conditions around it, like being passionate and empowered by what you're doing, obviously that's important, but there's a lot more to it than you just saying, Hey, what can I take from the world? No, no, no. What is it that you, that you can produce for the world that would have people beating down your door? And I think if we let demand drive decision-making, that's another rule I live by is let demand drive decision-making then um, life gets significantly easier. Absolutely. Uh, love it. Um, Tim, where can folks learn more about you? Where can they follow you? Where can they stay informed of all of the projects that you're involved with? And where can they reach out to your guys and your great team to get their great assistant? Yeah, I love that. So, uh, so if people want to download the tool I talked about earlier, 360 Delegation, they can go to greatassistant.com forward slash 360 Delegation. So that's greatassistant.com. The number three, the number six, the number zero, and then the word delegation, all one word. Um, and on the greatassistant.com website, there is a button you can click if you'd like to book a discovery call with us to see if our program would be a fit for you. Um, it would be up to 60 minutes long, sometimes and oftentimes shorter than that. And in that call, you'd have an opportunity to share where you're at, um, talk about the business that you're in, and our uh, client advisors would then be able to listen for is our program a fit for you? Um, they'd help you sort it if there's a path to profitability, actually, to be able to hire us. Because if there isn't, it doesn't make any sense to hire us. And thirdly is, is the timing right? So I got my first assistant too early. I wasn't ready for an assistant when I got my first assistant and it ended up costing me about $10,000 in wages and fees that I really didn't have to lose. And it was extreme. And this is, this is like long before I ever got my first ever great assistant. So, um, we, we don't accept just anyone as a client. We need to make sure that you fit the right profile and that you've got the right goals. And, and if you are a great fit, then we'd be happy to have you come join our program. Um, it's, uh, it's truly game changing when you find that right-hand person who can really help you be the second, uh, help you be your best by being the second half of your brain. And, and, and hopefully through what I've shared today, whether it's from hiring us or whether it's using some of our tools like the 360 delegation tool, I sincerely hope that there's been some way that I've been able to help every single person listening to get a little further down their path. Because I'll tell you what, like life is precious. And when I was 27, 28 years old and unable to walk, like that was very confronting. Like there were like most 85 and 90 year olds had more mobility than I did. And, and to realize how fast, like, so MC, my illness started on December 26th and by January 2nd, that's, that's like six days 
I went from standing upright, everything's normal to being incapacitated for three months, six days. That's all it took. And I was like a healthy, young, you know, good body fat, good diet, like all the rest. And when you realize how fast can all go away, we start getting kind of urgent around making every single day count. We get urgent about fulfilling our potential and fulfilling on the great gifts that we've been given. So I really just encourage everyone to, to take a step back. And uh, I guess as one of my final thoughts is really understand that every day is a gift. And, you know, if, if, if what your zone of genius is, is to be doing a lot of coordination work, then do that. If, it's, if that's not your speed or your style of work, let's get that off to a teammate who can help you so you can focus on what is your zone of genius. Uh, life is precious. Let's make every day count. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. This has been fantastic. I've learned a lot. I've taken a ton of notes here that I'll go through and I'll be listening to this again. Trust me. Thank you so much for connecting, my friend, and look forward to our, our future meetings. And we'll see you at a dinner party here in Austin. Would love to. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Thank you again for joining me on the Cashflow Ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here, please subscribe, rate, and write a review for our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at CashflowNinja.com. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. Until next time, my friend, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.